let's bow our heads and speak to him now. Great and mighty God, as we come before you this morning, each different individuals in this room, Lord, myself, all my brothers and sisters here this morning, we all come from many different walks of life. We're all a each, each one of us a different unit of a human body, or of your body, Lord, but we've each got our own struggles, our, our different things that we go through in life, different ways how we hear. Lord, we all have different needs this morning. And such a variety of many different uh, ways that can be met in a need this morning, Lord. But we serve a God that, that, that is nothing beyond your capacity. There's nothing beyond your power. There's nothing beyond your grace. And I say grace because we'll all admit that you are the most powerful, uh, nothing that you can't do kind of a God. But, but there's so many times the devil beats us up and says he won't do it for you because of such or such. But, Lord, your grace, your mercy, your blood is so thorough. It's so cleansing, and there's no limit to your mercy, Lord. How we praise you, Lord God, for loving us, for saving us, for changing us, Lord. We want to say thank you for meeting all of our needs this morning. Each one of us, Lord, the testimonies that were at the beginning of the service, Lord, of how you're still providing and meeting all of our needs, Lord, we know that's you. We know that's you, Lord. That's nothing of our own. That's nothing that makes us that we're worth anything or because we're somebody, Lord. But that's just your divine hand of favor. We appreciate you, Lord. And, and we know that in this earthly tabernacle, there's a lot of needs each one of us have, Lord. Maybe through providing or provision or work or bills or uh, maybe it be for healing this morning or for comfort or peace to our hearts, whatever it might be, Lord. And, and I know you meet those needs of our body, Lord, and we have the needs of our spirit this morning, Lord, through maybe uh, maybe got a lot of complexes or offenses or things that maybe smother us down or keep us real tight and real stony, Lord. But you're the God that restores our spirit as well. And, and then there's that soul that's in there, Lord, that you redeemed and you bought and you predestinated before the foundation of the world. And when all these three things come into direct divine fellowship and all they get lined up the way they should be, we can thoroughly and fully channel your light, Lord God. Help us here this morning, Lord. I believe you'll meet each need that's in this room, each need on the recording that might be watched tomorrow, today, months or years gone by, Lord, but you're still the same God you've always been. And we admit today, we testify today that you're very good at your job and you're very good to your people and there's nothing that you won't do for your people. And we accept and we receive and we believe and trust all your promises, your promises that you laid up for us. And we thank you for being so good. And we love you and we pray as we come to the ministry of your word that you'll step in, that you'll take complete control, Lord, that you'll minister to us as we sit at your feet. Lord, fixed, transfixed on every word. Lord, don't let us look away. Don't let us get distracted. Don't let us get tired, Lord. But let us just soak up and absorb all that you have for us today in your beautiful and lovely name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. <coughs> God bless you. God bless you. While you're standing, if you'll take your Bibles, today would be part eight in the changed in our Adams and his rainbow covenant, which again, that's his covenant. That's not your covenant. That's what he's promised. God bless you, brother. God bless you. It's good to see you this morning. So sorry for your loss, my brother. 
God bless you and your family. You love the Lord. You appreciate your brothers and sisters. It's an honor to be able to join in fellowship with those of like precious faith that love the Lord like you love the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Let's start off this morning in the, in the book of the Song of Solomon. <coughs> Chapter 2. And just while you're standing, trying to see which way the Lord wants that to go. We want to... Chapter 2. Let's just read while you're standing. I want to, and sometimes I know that while we're standing, we all got to still got to go to the bathroom, get settled and get situated. So I don't want to lose this thought of what God has for us. So we'll just, we'll just read this one verse right here in, in, in Song of Solomon chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, verse 10. We'll just read this one verse and we'll, we'll start building from right here. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved spake and said unto me, and you look as it breaks it up, who is speaking? My beloved spake, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said unto me, there's no getting out of it now. There's no speaking to someone else, person beside me or anyone else, because you're reading these words right now. You're all, you're reading and you're hearing what God says to you. And my beloved spake and said unto me, comma, rise up, comma, my love. He wanted to make sure you understand that he loves you this morning. And this isn't a love that gets tired of you, gets wore out on you, frustrated and gives up on you. This love is a thorough, agapo, godly love that he's loved you when you were bad. He loved you when you were good. He's always loved you and he always will love you. My beloved spake and he said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. You may be seated this morning. See, to me, that's a rapture verse right there. That's a rapture verse right there. You know that it's only the bride of Jesus Christ that will take a rapture? You understand? It's only the bride of Jesus Christ that will take a rapture. You understand the economy of God. You understand where, uh, where everybody fits in that economy. There are those that are a seed of God. You have a 30-fold, a 60-fold, and a 90-fold. Jesus said that you have many varying different types of seed upon the earth, but they are still a seed of God. You also have the Scripture says that he that none would be lost. He, that's the will of God. I wonder what the will of God for this world is. His will is that he would that none will be lost. But he knows that there will be that don't want to. Fizzled there for a minute. I do want to announce before I get fired up and get started. Uh, we're having Brother Joe Adams will be here the first weekend in March. So that's the 4th and the 5th, that's Saturday night and Sunday morning. Saturday at 5 o'clock, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. will be a little mini-meeting. But we, we, we've been looking for an opportunity here just in uh, April of last year, end of last weekend of April of last year. Beautiful job, wonderful uh, service that God did for us there. And I've been looking forward to have a chance to have him back. And you understand our restrictions in our other building. We have to look at the calendar and, and see when they aren't using it those days. And we have to try to fit in those days. So I was talking to him back in November about wanting him to come. And, and I told him, let me look at the schedule. And I get over and look at the calendar of the building. Like, it's all full. So... We'll just wait till we get here. So now that we're here, we're getting things settled in. And, and I've been thinking a, a week ago or so, I wanted to reach out to him and have him, have him come minister for us. And he texted me on Wednesday. And he said, hey, I've heard about the building. Congratulations. What's a mighty God? What a wonderful thing God's doing for you. And I, you know, I appreciated that. So, and, and I thought, wow, you're that just God hooked minister for us. Be in prayer for that, that service. Also, 
Um, not this coming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday is February 14th, and it's Valentine's Day. Now, again, we're not Catholic. Neither was St. Patrick. That wasn't even his name. They, they sainted him after he died. His real name was Sukkot. Brother Brown said his name was Sukkot. Is that his name was? He wasn't Catholic. He actually protested the Catholic Church. But anyway, so uh, it just as far as a normal day, as far as uh, couples, husbands and wives, to, to go out and celebrate, go out for dinner, go out for you know, something to spend the day together. And again, just like Christmas, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was born December 25th, but, but it's the day we take to celebrate that time of the year. I don't know exactly when in April he was born. I have a guess, but that's just my guess. So I, I'm not worshiping a tree. I'm not worshiping Santa Claus and those things. We just have that time we set aside for that season. So as far as us go, if there's a balance to everything, if there's a good and a bad to everything, I'm going to take the good out of February 14th, because I believe that if you want to look at what God is, you can look at God in his family, at a husband and a wife, and you'll find that type all the way through every spiritual aspect between a husband and his wife. If you've got dysfunction between the two of them, you'll notice dysfunction between you and him. That's just the way it is. That's what the Bible said, that if you, you say you love God and yet you hate your brother, the Bible said you're a liar and the truth ain't even in you. Not just Got a few things misconstrued. Maybe you're struggling with that. No, it just flat out gets in your face and says you're a liar and the truth ain't even in you. So how you feel about your brother and sister is generally how you feel about God. You realize that? How you feel about your brother and sister is how you feel about God. That's just my two cents. So February 14th, uh, 6.30, we're going to have a, uh, a little get-together over here in the Fellowship Hall. We'll be serving food. Uh, Bethany's got that worked out. We'll have some uh, couples games, but it is for couples. I know that some people that go out with their husband and wife, and if you want to do that, if you want to come over and fellowship with us, you're welcome to. Now, everybody is invited, but it is for that as well. I don't want the single people to feel left out, but you're all the part of the body of Christ. We love each one of you, but it's still something fun to get together and do. Middle of the week have fellowship, have some good food. So February 14th at 6.30, Tuesday night, two Tuesdays from now. That's the second thing. A third thing is a brother I've been speaking to the last few months over in Uganda, in Kampala, Uganda, that has asked, um, they've asked me to come minister for them uh, and asked me pretty quickly after we started talking when I was coming to Uganda, and I've only been in a few states in this country, and I, I, you, know, you know what I mean by that, I, I ain't never been no place real big, so I'm nervous. And so that's my first answer is, brother, I'm nervous. I don't know. But if God leads, then blessed be the name of the Lord. So uh, they've asked, and I, I do feel like that God is leading me to go. Uh, I've not got everything worked out between me and the Lord, but, but I, I believe God is moving in a certain way. But in that process, some of the brothers that I've talked to and met over there, they've, they've shared some needs with me that they'd like me to ask of the church. And we don't have a missionary offering funds set up I do want to eventually get to that as we get into that. that we, you know, we take up an offering, whatever's on your heart to give. This is no pressure. This is whatever's on your heart to give. And we'll find uh, brothers or sisters that we can across the world to try to help meet a need anywhere we can. If it's 25 cents, if it's $250, whatever God puts on your heart. I'm not, I'm not running around there with a whip and making you put something to play. This is whatever God moves on your heart. Uh, again, it's not about, you, you can't take my burden. you gotta, you, you got to have your own burden. And, and remember, Brother Ram told about the way to know the will of God for your life, about lining up those three lights. Is anything in your life uh, is it against, again, that you're looking at? Is it against the Scripture? Is there anything scriptural against it? Yes or no? If it's, yeah, if it's nothing scriptural, okay, check. We're good there. Is uh, this your burden? 
if this is your burden or this is someone else trying to put their burden on you. You know, I've got a burden for this, but you don't feel that burden because you're supposed to have the Holy Ghost as well. He leads and guides you as well. And if you don't have that burden, then you just don't have that burden. The third thing is, is will God make a way for it? Because anything God wants done, God will provide the money for to do it. Look where you're sitting. Anything God wants done, God will provide the money to do it. So you line up those three things. Is there anything scriptural again? Is, is, is it your burden? Is, is God providing for it? And then that's how you line up your life. It's, it's kind of easy as far as just spend time in prayer. Lord, lead me that way. So anyway, he's, he asked uh, if there was a way we could send an offering to help a certain need. And if anyone has something on your heart uh, to give toward that need, catch with me after service and we'll, we'll, we'll work that out. I'll tell you what they're looking for, but I just want to present it to the people. We've done that and we can talk about it more after the fact. Back to our sermon. In, in what the Lord has had in my heart, and this will be the eighth service, the eighth sermon in this series, uh, in, the, in the rapture. Now, each one, as far as a bride member, I would imagine that your heart, that maybe that means an awful lot to you, uh, a rapture, because that's what you've been promised. And we've been in a, the, the, the rainbow covenant. We've been covering that part because you find these things anytime. Uh, Brother Ram would make a statement like this. He said, if, if you knew a man made you a promise that couldn't lie, this man that he could not lie, you knew it about him, that he could not tell a lie, and he made you a promise, you would know with all your heart that he'll, meet that, he'll, he'll keep that promise. Now, we're not talking about a man now. We're talking about a man that's even said that he's not a man that he can lie. That's what's said about the Lord Jesus. He's not a man that he can lie. But as a matter of fact, he keeps his promise. Now, in, in all of these things, in a, in, sometimes I know I cast a wide net, but, but I, I look at it in a, uh, a very, God fills all time and space. God fills all in all. God is, he's in everything, everywhere, all the time. He, he's just that kind of a God. And, and if you don't think that even in a gum wrapper, it's his will to save your life, to save your soul, to heal your body, everywhere you look, you can find. Brother Ram talked about just a blade of grass. That just a blade of grass. He said, I could take a blade of grass and preach 100 years off of a blade of grass. And I can preach to you, God, off that blade of grass. We're not worshiping grass. We're showing you the creator that made the blade of grass. So kind of a wide, broad view of a lot of things. God opens up different parts of the Scripture, and I, I love that. You notice that I don't just live in the New Testament. I don't just live in the Old Testament. He moves us back and forth, proving what was spoken in the Old, proving what was carried on in the New. Same God all the time does not change. He changes his, um, the way that he'll speak as far as what's next. This is what's next. He's not changing what his will and his purpose was. He's just, most people only can come so far. Okay, so if that's all you can come, if you're just a 1% Christian, here's your 1%. Well, I guess that's all God is, is my 1%. But yet someone else, again, imagine if you were to sit down and give a good interview of Lot. Lot, tell me about God. Tell me how your life revolves around God. Tell me how you wake up in the morning thinking about God. Tell me how you go to sleep at night thinking about God. Tell me all that. And he's like, well, I wouldn't really describe it that drastic. Maybe. Um, I mean, he's okay. I mean, he's, I like him, and, and I plan to go there later. And, you know, when I die, that's why I plan. You understand, maybe his priority, maybe his love wasn't quite as enriched for him as Abraham was. Now, if you were to sit down you know, and uh, interview Abraham, Abraham's just going to go on and on and on. You know, kind of like you hear in the Song of Solomon, he's my fair one. He's my love. He's my husband. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. All these things over and over. When I wake up in the morning, I love him with all my heart. When I go to bed at night, I love him with all my heart. I can't stop thinking about him. 
So you, you have to uh, you have to meet all all those varying uh, aspects of the human race. And you find even in your own body that you've got a body, you've got a soul, you've got a spirit. You've got a body, spirit, soul, and the way each one functions between the two of them. If you were to pull your spirit right now, that's how you die. That, that's actually how you die is your spirit leaves the body. That's then your body. Your body can be perfectly fine. There are many people that are brain dead on the planet right now in comas that they don't know why they're, they, they don't understand why they won't wake up. There's nothing physically wrong with it. They won't wake up. The life left the body or the, the life has been, uh, that spirit has been so choked down and put into a spot to where that Satan's bound to where they can't get up. Now, I say it like that because Brother Branham gave some provisions uh, for uh, one particular sister that was that way that had been in a coma and her sister had went up for prayer. Uh, she think the, the sister was in uh, almost half the country away. I remember she was in California, but the brand was somewhere in the middle of the country. I don't know exactly where it was, but, but she goes up for prayer. She's in asylum in just comatose. This can be nothing there. Her sister goes up for prayer, 1,000 miles away. God touches her. That woman comes to life where she's at. She gets on a bus and travels to the meeting across the country. So there was nothing wrong with the body. The body was fine. But there's something wrong with the spirit. Now, you have the body, you have the spirit. And you understand that the spirit is what functions, what, uh, what controls, what guides, what leads your body. If the lights aren't on, you know, nobody's home. So, you know, your eyes can be open, but you could have been checked out. You've, you've been the same way. You've maybe dazed off in thought and, and just, you know, looked, you got to thinking about and just kind of really lost yourself in your thoughts and, and you almost looked comatose for a while, just kind of stood still and maybe didn't even look like you were breathing because your mind was wandering. Because, again, your mind, which you can't touch your mind, you can touch your brain, but you can't touch your mind. You understand? The mind is what works the brain. It fires those synapses. That spirit steps in and quickens that thing and starts operating on that body, that function, those limbs, those breathing, the, the, the breath, the heartbeat. And that's what operates this unit we call a body. Now, uh, you know, that's done through that light that's inside of you. Because each one is born with four cosmic lights. Brother Ram told us that. You're at birth. You're each one born with four cosmic lights. And up until you're about 18 or 20 or so, they start to diminish over a period of time. Now, that light is what operates that body. So my, me thinking in a mechanical sense that if your body was a great big mechanical uh, functioning system and you were to step in and, and, you know, and along the lines with a smaller body and start moving this stick or this stick. Everybody's seen a, a, a track hoe or a backhoe operated. They have the arms to reach out and grab dirt. And those are runoff joysticks and they literally fold out. They grab, they cram, and there's several function, you know, multi-purpose functions pulling that back moving the dirt i'm a construction guy so this is why I, so you understand is you got three or four different moving parts that you're working joysticks to make sure all of this works so in my mind thinking if you were to step in your your spirit will start working your body in this aspect you need your arm to move it grabs that joystick and starts moving that arm around you need your leg to move it starts moving this you need your arms and almost like you're uh, not like a puppet and like that to move like that but uh, you're, you're you're moving function so but but in my mind thinking mechanical i would think you're hitting a lever but it doesn't work like that because it's actually a light your spirit being light that will move into a body and saturate it and ignite all of those synapses and start firing the control center of your brain. Now, that control center of your brain through those synapses is running electrical charge command to each different thing to raise your arm up, to raise your arm down. And, and as you've watched uh, technology progress from 100 years ago where everything was a leap, 
Uh, now you've got different uh, transistor controls that can, uh, that can do that by just a push of a button. You push a button, and where it used to be, you'd have to take a lever to do it. Now you can push a button, and that, that little mechanism moves it. So again, higher technology, and there's nothing more, more complex than the human body. You're not going to find anything built or designed on this planet more complex than your body. You're saying, no computer source, no uh, smartphone, no laptop is as smart as your brain if you were to use all of it. So it's just talking about our, our, the creative design of our God. So the way that your spirit moves that body, and I know it's a long ways around my thumb to explain this, but that spirit comes in as meant to move, the, to, 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 to work, and to flow this body, to make it do what it's designed to do. So uh, if you have a computer that gets a virus in it, that virus will agitate, will mess up parts of it, will won't do its job right. So if the initial uh, operating program was to do X, Y, Z, and then some virus gets in there and it only does Y, X, or all these different things, it's not functioning the way it was designed. Your body was functioned, to, was designed to be whole, to be healed, to be well. That's the way God created your body. Anybody disagree with that? Anybody think your body was created to be anything but perfect body in this condition? So it'd be the mark of sin. It'd be any of those things that would make your body not what God's picture of you in the beginning was. So as your spirit comes in and it functions, because you can't see my spirit, you can't see my soul, you can't touch my spirit, you can't touch my soul, you can't smell my soul, you can't smell my spirit. But your body operated by your spirit. Now that spirit will absorb uh, just like a magnet. You walk through this life. If, if somebody... Can you imagine a person that's only ever been told something positive their entire life? Say they're 21 years old and all of their life, and you're doing great. You're doing great, even constructive. You know, I know it may be a little bit better here, but you're just doing great. And no complexes, no offenses, no scars, no mark of sin, no mark of negativity whatsoever. What kind of a spirit would be on that person? I'm not talking about, you know, not correcting a child and they'd be turned. I'm not talking anything like that. I'm talking about no negative impact in their whole life. What kind of a spirit will they have? See, and you, nobody's like that because we all live in this world. We're all facing demons. We're all facing principalities. We're all facing those things coming against you to, to, to mark you up, to, to, to bash you up, to bruise you up. And I'm talking about your spirit. And I'm not talking about your body. To bruise your hurt your spirit to to tear you down that way when you talk to anybody you're only talking through the hurts and the offenses and the scars and the complexes and the roots of bitterness each one of us here today you've all had all the each one of every hearts that beat in this room today has had some kind of offense has had some kind of a complex has had some kind of thing that you now everything that comes out of your mouth everything that runs through your brain is filtered through those so even how you hear is filtered through those. The way that, uh, see, for example, if right now this morning, if you had a complex against me, if you had an ought against me, if you had a problem with me, you're not going to hear what I've got to say to you. You might come, you might sit here, but you're just, you're not going to listen. But if you didn't have that, if you actually believed that what God has set in place here is for you specifically, not that I'm not perfect, not that I, I'm perfect, not that I don't make mistakes, not that I don't have my own struggles, but you know that despite all my imperfection, God is using me to speak to us here today, then you understand that it's not just me in a room that's maybe a little warm, which I'm taking my coat off because it's warm. 
But not just in a room because it's warm, not just because it's something to do, but I believe God has something to say to me today. Now, each one of us have jobs. Most of us have jobs. We have some kind of a schedule that Satan will use to pull our attention away from what's being said right now. So again, all these things are being filtered through the complexes, the schedules, the distractions, and Satan uses that to pull you out of slipping into that anointing that can be accessed through your soul. See, all good things will come to the soul, not the spirit. The spirit itself can be um, affected by your earthly things and temporal words and and things like that, and that can affect your soul, uh, your spirit, but not your soul. Your soul is affected from that side. Now, all of these things, can you imagine? This is what some of the Lord's done me over the last few days. Can you imagine everything perfectly in line? Body, spirit, and soul. Nothing fighting the other in perfect fellowship between your body from your spirit and your soul. You, I, I don't think it'd take very much to take a rapture right then and there. Because once all of those three things are lined up, there's nothing between you and him. You'll hear his voice. He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. You'll surrender all of your life to him. You'll do his will no matter what it costs you. It don't matter if that's what he says. So I've got to walk through the wall of fire to get to that person over there. Here I come right now. You won't even blink. I'm not talking about a suicide death wish. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about doing perfectly his will, his preeminence in your life with all three things lined up. Perfect fellowship. Now, you'll find God works in threes a lot. No one sits here this morning with five spirits or five souls or five bodies. No one sits here with seven spirits, seven souls. You know, nobody does that. But you're sitting here in a three, a triune body of a body of a spirit and a soul. So is your soul is that elected seed gene of God, that eternal quality, that eternal element that God placed in you before the foundation of the world. It wasn't your body that he saw there that you'd be six foot. I mean, yes, he did, but, but your body will, this isn't the body that he wants to marry. You understand that this body has been marked with sin. This body has been marked by the world. This body must be changed in that heavenly body. That's why you have an earthly body, a heavenly body, and a celestial body, an earthly, spiritual, and celestial. You have a, a, a human body, a theophany, and you have a glorified body. Theophany is that spirit that's, that, that's completely restored and in complete fellowship with God, that theophany. And that's a part of that, um, that, 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 that spoken, predestinated part of God in you that quickens that. And you can't have the one without the other. Now, Brother Branham taught us that we bypass our theophany at birth. He said that we all bypass our theophany at birth. He said Jesus did not. He said Jesus was born with that full access to that theophany, which means he knew who he was. He knew who he was. You, we've been wandering our whole lives, and we start to guess, we start to imagine. It starts to slowly sink in, and, and then after a while, you're like, wait a minute, I am the bride of Christ. Wait a minute, I am his redeemed. I am his purchased possession. I am who this book talks about. And that makes things very real. You can feel the room start to change just by saying so. The presence of the Lord sweeps in and starts to anoint and to amen that word. Yes, that's what I've been always trying to get to you. To you. It's your body, again, accessing what God has. Your soul is all about him. Your soul wants him. Your soul lives for him. Even in the garden, with him being born with full access to his theology. He was in the garden. All those demons that come against him, which they come against you as well. He's trying to pray. And he, he steps back and says, my spirit is willing, my body is weak. 
My spirit is willing. My body is weak. This wasn't a spirit that was not quickened. This was not a spirit that didn't have the Holy Ghost because he is the Holy Ghost. But even in the flesh, the surrendering of all three to line up, he would tell you that me trying to pray in that body, that my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. You, you all remember the scripture there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that scripture. But yet he's still overcome. He's still overcome. There have been many times that I've told you that me trying to pray, sometimes in prayer it's wonderful, it's beautiful, there's no resistance whatsoever. Other times in prayer I might as well be swinging nonstop. Every single prayer, every single this, it's an outright battle. Not between me and my Lord, it's against Satan trying to stop me from praying. Distraction, this, noise, all these different things coming at you, trying to pull you away from that prayer. So I can understand the body struggling because Satan can access me through that body. So the battleground, the battleground, Satan chose the mind, God chose the heart. Now, we've covered in the last so many months how that your heart was specifically designed to be the throne room of the great Elohim, of the great and mighty God. That's what your heart was designed for. I was listening to Brother Ram say again the other day, and I need to go find the exact article. He was referencing an article in some scientific magazine where they had finally found a, they had always had an issue, I think it was Solomon that said, um, as a man thinketh in his heart. Solomon had said that and they had a problem with that scientists said obviously Solomon was wrong he must not have been the smartest guy that ever lived outside of Christ because he made such a silly statement as a man thinketh in his heart you don't think with your heart you think with your mind but this article that Brother Ram was referencing was that uh, they, they, they found in their studies that inside a man's heart in the very center of the heart there was a place where there was not even a blood cell and they surmised that that's where God lives that's where the soul would abide that was there, scientific surmisal, whatever the right word is. Not even a blood cell. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Not even a blood cell. You know your heart is purely saturated with blood. There's not another place on your body that has more blood than your heart because everything goes to the heart. But there's a place inside that heart where there's not even a blood cell. And you're not talking about something very big. Not even a blood cell. But there's something else that's supposed to live there. Now, we've covered a lot in the Revelations 4 about the living creatures and about the one that sits on the throne. That living creature, he's not called, uh, and it's backwards and forwards. It's Zechariah to Ezekiel to Daniel to John to uh, the Revelations, backwards and forward about this particular one that sits on that throne room and what his throne looks like. What his throne looks like. You know what? Let's just go to Daniel 7. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's just go to Daniel 7. As the Lord leads. Now, in this, the first um, eight verses, the first eight verses, it's covering the prophecy that God spoke through Daniel. Now, as Daniel is given this chapter, this book right here, you could take and look at it inside by side with what Daniel was allowed to see. To Ezekiel 1 and 2, what Ezekiel was allowed, then over to Ezekiel 10, put all of these side by side, and then look at John, over at John, the book of Revelation, whether it be um, chapter 4 or chapter 5, and you look at them all simultaneously in a row. And you can see different parts of time. Still talking about the same one, still talking the same thing, but still, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And you've got to read the Bible with a revelation. 
You cannot just read, I say this all the time to remind you that God gives revelation. He's the one that gives the spirit of revelation, understanding the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't get it no other way. We covered that last Sunday. I think it's uh, Matthew 16. You don't get it any other way but through him. That's where that revelation comes through. Not a head knowledge, not intellectual, but given freely from him. And we also share that we on Wednesday night that it's his will to reveal himself to you. That's the will of God is to reveal himself to you. So as you see each one of these things moving, you can see a time of life. You see a a prophet, Daniel, standing there. What would that be? Something like 800 years or so, 600, 700 years before the birth of Christ, before the ancient of days put into human flesh and he's making this prophecy he's telling about what's going to happen at the end time with the different horns you have the two different goats you have the one goat you have the other goat the notable horn all these things describing in perfect uh, alignment with what john's allowed to see about the catholic church about sitting upon 10 heels all of those things imperfect but in a different stage of time and, and, and I say it like this, that way that you'll understand, we'll, we'll connect this to Ezekiel, what we read to you in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, and with what we read in Revelations 5, 6, and Revelations 10. Chapter 7, verse 9. We've come through all those prophecies. And he's sitting there, and he's looking about what he just saw, and he's, he's thinking about the goats. He's beheld in verse 8, and he's sitting there, and I'm thinking about it. I'm considering these horns. I'm considering these horns and thinking about that and and then and then verse 9 happens and then i beheld until the thrones were cast down or put in their place cast down or put in their place and i'm gonna pause right there just to make a statement as we walk through each beast that was just told you had the man you had the eagle uh you had the man that was right the lion that had eagle's wings, the lion that had eagle's wings that become a man. Then you had the bear. Then you had the leopard. Then you had this other great beast, this notable beast. And each one of them would step up and I'm going to use the word usurp. Usurp power and authority. They would usurp or they would assume, which means venture without authority. The word assume means to venture without authority. Now, as Daniel is watching these things, he's seeing them step up and take authority and take dominion, but it didn't belong to them. You understand? It did not belong to them. It belonged to Adam's race. Not to these. It belonged to Adam's race. Now, he's watched all these things, and he sees this great beast rise up, this lion with the wings of eagle, and now it's changed into a man. And then he goes to a bear, and a bear is standing there with ribs in his teeth, and he's told to devour much flesh, and he goes from that bear over to the leopard. And that leopard, it said, all those things coming in the next one, it says he was given dominion or authority or power. However you want to imagine or look at that, he was given dominion. Dominion was given to it, verse 6. Dominion didn't belong to that. He was given to that, but it didn't really belong to them. The dominion belongs to the one that created it. That's why the the prophet would use the word abstract title deed. Abstract title deed. The word abstract, everybody knows what a title or deed is. That's that's the, the bill of ownership. The abstract means searched all the way back. Searched all the way back. See, that's one of the issues we're having now with the, the church here. Not really an issue. It'll get worked out. But, but the Methodist church, um, they're, they're trying to get the... Um, they're trying to get it, the, the deed set up so they can sell it to us. But the original 
the estate uh, because it was an ownership trust put in the estate of the first uh, the family that had um, that donated it to the church or whatever it was and it was still in that name so they're having trouble getting it out because all the, they're all they're all dead and they're in, but it's been their church but they're trying to get all that cleaned up so they did had to do a title search go back 121 years they had to do a title search to go back 121 years to see who the original owner was to make sure there's no liens against the property make sure nobody else had a a, a say against the property and then the same thing with the parsonage they've got a um like the, the name was changed in the Methodist church and it's like anyway but they're searching the title out so the abstract title deed adam was given possession he was given ownership of the earth adam lost it now where satan stepped in and assumed control he wanted everyone to think that it belonged to him now this is no different why this is why we call him a squatter this is why we call him a con man this is called we call him a bluffer he asserted authority he assumed authority power dominion but it did not belong to him never has never will belong to him it was always meant for a redeemed son and daughter of god always meant for a redeemed son of god when you search it out the abstract means it went all the way back to the original creator they were able to track it back down. Oh, here, to here, to here. Oh, Elohim. Nothing past Elohim. He must have been the first. Must have been the last. Must have been everything in between. So, searched all the way back. But authority and dominion is now given to this beast. It did not belong to him. Now, your heart was designed for him, you being his property, to sit on your heart. That's what you were designed for, was for him to sit here. This throne is where God created in you for him to dwell in you. It don't belong to nobody else. This is why people, when they have a, a thirst and a hunger for God, but they wanna, they'll, they'll try to fill it with anything else, whether it be drinking or smoking or anything else, to give them a peace, to give them a, uh, some kind of a, a moment of pleasure. That's a perversion. It was never created for that. You were always created for that Shekinah glory to dwell right here and nothing else. That's the throne. That's where it was put. This is where he belongs. Now, Daniel in verse 9 says, I behold till all the thrones were cast down, or another way to say it is put into their place. Now, this that he just described where they built these thrones up, saying, you should worship this, you should worship this. Your heart says, that ain't worthy of worship. Only he's worthy of worship. Tear them down. We talked recently about all the kings of Israel. You had a problem with, uh, from Ahab on, they had left the groves. They left the altars built in there in Jerusalem. They left them. You had different kings. He would serve the Lord, yes, but he wouldn't tear the altar down. He wouldn't tear the throne to that God down, that little idol, that little nothing. That's all he is, is nothing. They wouldn't tear it down, and God wouldn't let them live long because they wouldn't tear it down. Right here, this fulfillment says, I beheld till every throne was cast down. And the only thing remained was the Ancient of Days. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit. Right here. Right here. Whose garment was white as snow? I'm redeemed. The hair of his head was like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. His wheels as burning fire. We just covered Ezekiel's prophecy about the wheels. It starts out where God moving in your life and God taking those wheels and those, those four living creatures working through those wheels. And, and now, after it's all said and done, you don't see the wheels moving. You only see that one hand working through those wheels. Ezekiel chapter 10. First, of the, uh, chapter 1 is the prophecy, 1 and 2. Then go to chapter 10, the fulfillment. 
his wills and his wills, and that's italicized, and his wills as burning fire. See, you become the burning fire. You become the burning fire. You become the Shekinah glory. You become that halo. You. You do. A fiery stream issued, came forth from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. The judgment was set, the books were opened. Now, if we'll turn back to Psalms chapter 115. Lord, have your way. I was hoping to open in this particular uh, a total of five verses, Psalms 115 and then jump to Psalm, uh, Matthew and then to Psalms 116, but, but God has everything in control. And, and I don't want my will, I only want his will. Psalms 115, chapter 115, verse 1. Chapter 115, verse 1, we'll read three verses right here. Psalms chapter 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Where is now their God? And I'll pause just a second to remind you, the prophet said that third pull, that third pull, that use of that third pull power will be for the eternally lost and the bride. Answers this question. The heathen would say, where now is their God? Where is your God? Your God is real. Where is the God of Elijah? Verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Can your heart say amen to that? Not what I want, not what I think, but whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read just one verse right there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it's very familiar to you, but I want you to put your eyes on it and keep that there in Psalms 115, 3, in all those things together. Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 10. Thy kingdom come, period. Thy will be done in earth, comma, as it is, and it is is italicized, as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now jump back to the book of Psalms with me. Keep that right there in your mind. As it is, his will, his will. Obviously, you know his will is done in heaven. Ain't nobody wondering, I wonder how he's got things working up there. I mean, he don't run his business like we run our business. He don't run his house like we run our house. He don't run his life like we run our lives. Everything is perfectly in order. We, we've had you agree with us that the sun is still in perfect rotation. The earth is still in rotation. The moon's still in rotation. Every planet, they're all still in rotation. He's not up here going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. He's not that kind of a God. So that earth part is you, his will in you. We shared those threefold purposes of God on Wednesday night. What Brother Brown said, God's threefold purposes before the foundation of the world was. Now, Psalms 116, chapter 116, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? 
Now, it, it's, if there's anything you get out of this sermon today and you go home, I want that verse tattooed on the inside of your eyelids, written on the inside of your eyelids. Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I give? What shall I say? What shall I think, Lord? for all of your benefits toward me. And we, we talked about his promises, how you can stand on his promises, how you can live on his promises, and you can base all of your life on his promises. They won't pass away. Heavens and earth will pass away, but his promises will not. His promises are a benefit. His benefit. It, now, and, and this is a, a far-reaching loop. It, you've got the promise of a, of a well body. You've got the promise of a well mind. You've got the promise of a, uh, being able to, a token to be able to claim your family. You've got the promise of a, a safe household. You've got the promise of a, of a, uh, a peace amongst your family, amongst your brethren, bringing that peace in. You've got a promise of a body change. You've got a promise of a resurrection. All these benefits. So then you ask yourself, what will I render unto him for all of his benefits toward me? Don't wait till your deathbed if you're to go by the way of grave. Answer this question in yourself right now. Lord, what should I do? What should I give? Anything of my heart, nothing of my own, I leave, Lord, but all that I am I give to thee. Go back to the Song of Solomon with me. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Got too many papers in here song of solomon chapter 2 verse 1 goodness come on now it's so small i can't pull my bookmarks out i lose my place and stuff all right just put it on the screen there you go charity song of solomon chapter 2 verse 1 now, as I was looking at this yesterday, I just picked up the Bible just sitting there before breakfast, after breakfast, what it was, and I just wanted to stop and read just a few verses. And you know in your heart if, if there's a way to block off verse 2, which there's no way to say it, I've seen it now. You know in your heart, uh, there well, used to be a picture. Um, do we, I don't know if we have that picture or not. That, and he shall be called. It takes there in Isaiah 9, 6, and it says, and he shall be called. And it's got 20 or 25 different names pulled from the Old Testament that they would call the Lord Jesus Christ. And bright and morning star, lily of the, lily of the valley, fairest of 10,000. These are things that he's called. You understand? Now, this Solomon, uh, if you were to look into verse uh, chapter 1, you have the Shunammite speaking, and then you have him taking over the conversation. It jumps from her to now he's speaking. And as he is speaking, he's now starting to talk about her. But if you keep all of this in your mind about the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship with you, now you look at, you, you, yes, I would gladly admit, he's the rose of Sharon, he's the lily of the valley, he's the fairest of 10,000 of my soul. That's, you know, I'm the rose of the Sharon, I'm the lily of the valley. Then go to verse 2. Scroll up to verse 2. As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. He's still talking about you. You live in a world of sin, you live in a world of things, you live in a world that's, that you're constantly attacked and barraged by the enemy. Uh, anybody in the right mind would call your enemy a, a pile of thorns, anybody would call that. But even amidst all of that that's out there, he still looks at you as a lily amongst the worst sight. It's the most beautiful thing. When he looks down and sees you, this is his love towards you. Verse 3. Takes a while to move that, don't it? As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. Now, if you pause that with Psalms 91, 
under the shadow of the Almighty, under his shadow, under his wings. And God, he used the Bible to say things in so many different ways that the Bible would even say like this, that a fool would not err therein. They would say it this way. He would say it this way. He would say it this way, that way that again, each one of us, we hear differently. Each one of us are here in different places in our walk with the Lord. And each one of us said, I didn't understand that one thing. But when you said that, though, I knew he right then he was talking to me. And, and you thought, well, I didn't get that. But when you said that, oh, I knew right then he was talking to me. And that's what the Lord is. He's got a bouquet of flowers that is his wife. And she's a variety of all kinds of different flowers. But yet she's his wife. And he loves her with all that's within him. And you're under his shadow. Under his shadow. Go to verse 4. That fruit part. That fruit part right there will jump you to Revelation chapter 20. Go back to verse 3. <clears throat> I didn't mean to skip over that. Under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. If you jump to Revelation chapter 22. That's where this verse ties in. Revelation chapter 22. Let's go ahead and go there just a minute. We'll come hold that place. We'll come right back to that. But I want you to see that as well. That fruit. Because we, we share that with you a lot. We're meant to be fruit inspectors. Paul would say it like this. Let no man deceive you. Let no man bewitch you. Let no man trick you. Let no man do you, you look at yourself to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. You can't say, well, I'm okay. I serve God this. I do this. No, no. You need to examine yourself daily. Am I still in the faith? Am I still walking with the Lord? Am I still doing what he wants me to do? If the, am I in the will of God for my life today? You think about that, your heart right now. Satan is so big on blowing yourself up and using pride or using your years in something or all these things to make you think you're something all the while you're nothing, absolutely nothing. So let me ask you this this morning. Each one of you sitting here, are you willing to let God, once he examines you, once he searches you and tries your reins, are you willing to let him tear you apart to build you back in his image? Tear you apart. Lord, build me in your image, whatever it takes. The prophet would say it like this, even if it rips the hide right off of you, his will be done. Amen. And we say, well, no, God wouldn't do that. He let them tear the skin off his back. He let them tear the skin off his stomach. He let them do that. He let them nail him to a tree. He became a curse for us. If you need to be torn down, say, God, tear me down. He'll build me back in your image. I don't want my own thought. I don't want to be okay. I, I want to be his way. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, I want to pick up that fruit. He showed me a pure river of water of life. He showed me a pure river of water of life. And the clearest crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Clearest crystal. Clear as crystal. Now, uh, pause just a minute and think about where that water's at. That water is on the outside. It's in another dimension. It's in that heavenly Jerusalem. It's in that kingdom. The pure river of water of life. That's where it'd be flowing from. And, and think about what water does. Right now we have, through because uh, glass is just a solid. Uh, that's actually, it's a, it's a liquid posing as a solid. That's what glass is. That it's liquid posing as solid. How they, they'll shape it and burn it and make it a certain way. And so what it's doing is light comes through that. The different colors that you have different colors cast out on the floor, on the wall. The light coming through that. Can you imagine what his light looks striking this river? Can you imagine what that looks like? Because you know it's perfect. You know it's just perfect. And guess what? There's no shadows to stop it. Because there's no shadows there. No shadows to stop it. No darkness to stop it. Nothing to stop the shining and the brightness of that light. 
Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, where again is the throne of God supposed to be? Nothing to stop that light. There's a river of life flowing out from me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors and sets the captives free. There's a river of life. Verse 2, in the midst of the street of it, on either side of this river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves had a purpose. The fruit had a purpose. Even the leaves, and the leaves were given for the healing of the nations. It's beautiful. Go back to the Song of Solomon. Absolutely beautiful. Our God is just the sweetest, and he's just the kindest and most lovely and beautiful that there's ever, ever been. There's truly none like him. Back to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, Charity. What's sad is, Emicade actually got me some, Emicade or Lily actually got me some Bible markers, and they're still on my desk. (laughs) She's giving me a dirty look right now. Verse 4, this fruit, this is acceptable. This is given to you. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Always will be love. That's his banner. He's waving. So you know what a banner is? A banner is basically a flag. Either a flag or something that's billowing in the wind. And he's waving it over you. I love her. He's not just saying, no, no, he's letting everybody know it. Even your enemies know it. Even your enemies know it. I love her. Verse 5. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm sick of love, or I'm lovesick. Go to verse 6. His left hand is under my head. His right hand doth embrace me. Go to verse 8, 7. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose, by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Now, I'm going to there just a minute. You remember the prophecy of the first coming of Christ. Remember, there are three. The prophecy of the first coming of Christ says he came in flesh there in Jerusalem, that it was told that the mountains will skip, like I, can't remember, I always mess that up, that the mountains will skip, that the hills will leap, all these different things. And now, in this type of Christ, in Solomon, as a type of Christ, the voice of my beloved, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. That he comes leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. Now, I don't know, you ever heard the, 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 the blessing or the salutation that says, may the road might rise up to meet your feet as you walk? Everybody ever heard that? May the road rise up to meet your feet as you walk? You've heard that old, that old saying. So can you imagine him leaping? The earth would be in perfect harmony. He's not going to fall into a pothole. He's not going to sprain his ankle. He's just moving. He's just moving. Go to verse 9. My beloved is like a roll or a young heart. He's beautiful to look upon. You're going to find the patience of God for your life right here. He's like a roll or a young heart. He stands behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. In your life. We, we spent a lot of time in Genesis there where he was told how to find the ark. Exactly where to put the door. Exactly where to put the window. And in that part of the 
you're built and that you're designed. You're not ever to keep your eyes upon things of this world. You're only to keep your eyes on things above. This world, it will, it'll discourage you. It'll depress you. You'll always be knotted up. You'll always be looking at your troubles and your trials. How's this ever going to get better? I don't know how it's ever going to get better. And you can look up and you're like, oh, that's how. From which cometh my help. I look up from which cometh my help. He shows himself to the lattice. So in your walk with the Lord, as you've surrendered your life to God, you were a certain way for a long time. And in that way that you were, you weren't living for the Lord. Maybe you were a little bit. And then you give him a little bit more and a little bit more. But in essence, you were holding your heart back from him. The prophet would teach it like this, endorse the heart or door to the heart. And he would tell you that there are many doors to your heart. He said, for example, he would say it. I love the simplicity of a prophet. He would say it like this, that if you say, Brother Brown, come over to my house. And you come to my house, he'd come in, he'd come inside the door and say, just make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. He said, then I know I can go to your fridge. I can make me a big old sandwich. I can go to your bedroom and jump up on the bed and eat it in your bed because you said make yourself at home. Now, most of you flinch a little bit when I said that. You'd be worried someone would do that. Same thing with him. Taking control with you. I'd be worried he'd actually do that. And I would no longer be in control. This is each one of our struggle. Not one perfect person here today. This is what each one of us does. We've got to let it go and let him take all control. Standing there all the time. Even when you were his enemy, even when you were spit on him, even when you wanted nothing to do with him, all the while he done redeemed you, died, been thinking about you for an eon of time, and he's just standing there patiently. You know, the song says he stood there waiting in line. I made him wait in line a long, long time, and he just stood there patiently. And you know, the prophet would say that, that if a governor or a king or a prince come to your house, if they knock on your door one time, you'd feel so, so happy and so uh, worth something because they come there. And if you didn't answer the door and let them in and let them in, they would never come back ever, 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 ever come back. And yet the king of kings comes to your door every second of the day. And it's so hard to answer the door. But he stands there showing himself and i like that i like this verse in particular because you remember brother Brenham telling a story about a <clears throat> a young boy that went to his mom one day and asked his mom can i see god and she said honey i don't know I, I just don't know you need to ask your sunday school teacher he gets to school and at church and he asks his sunday school teacher can i see god and she's like oh i don't know you have to ask the pastor and he gets over the pastor and and he asked the pastor that, that same day and said pastor can i see god and anyway i can see god Oh, no, you can't see God. No one can see God. There's a scripture that says no man can see God. Here's what he's saying. And so later that day, there was an old man that was a widow that went out fishing. The boy asked to go with him. He went out there sitting on the boat, and he had a little bit of a rain come through. And he's standing, he's watching the skies, he's watching the wind, all these things, and he starts crying. And the little boy's looking at him. And then he thought to ask him. He said, can I see God? And the old man tells him, I see him every day. Every single day. And I can testify to you in my own life from when I, the more and more that I surrender him of myself to him, the more I see him everywhere I look. I see him in things. And I said that earlier about a bubblegum wrapper. You see God in things that you never expected to see him in because we close ourselves down and we think that he can't see us. Did, did it get you in the forehead that time? Is it Johnny leaves me? You think that he can't see us. 
that's where man will sin. That's where man makes a mistake. But if you lived every second of your life knowing you're living in his presence, you talk different, you talk different, you act different, you think different. Because to me your pastor you're not doing it like you're sitting next to your husband your wife you're you're doing because you know you're sitting in his presence and you conduct yourself a lot better knowing you're sitting in his presence it changes things right hopefully amen turn to psalms chapter 114 psalms chapter 114 He goes before me. He's a defender behind me. I've shared a lot of things with you last month or so. What I believe God does for his bride, I've shared that with you most of my life. Up that I thought that the bride would be running and hiding before the rapture, that she would be maybe you know, the prophet made a few statements about concentration camps, and, and that's the case, but I don't believe the bride will be in those. We do know there are those, anyone that has a little bit funny, different idea than what the Catholic Church, they'll be in those. And it won't be just Christians. It'll be anybody that would go against them that won't take that mark. You understand it won't be just Christians that won't take that mark. You understand that? There's plenty of other people that are just crazy enough. And you're like, you know what? I say crazy. They're odd to what we would think as far as being different. But odd enough, they're not that odd as far as, I'm not pointing a particular way, but, you know, toward what the Catholic idea is. They're saying, you know, take your mark. I don't want nothing to do with you. So I just soon, you know, just kill me now because I won't take nothing to do with you. But there are those that aren't Christians that I say is a Christian believing in Christ that, that won't take that mark as well, won't be able to buy or sell. Now, we're not talking about bride right now. We're talking about the remnant that's upon the earth. And you've got to watch that as you read the Bible, whether you're thinking you're talking about the 144,000, the bride of Christ, or the remnant, which is the woman's seed left over. It, the bride does not go through the tribulation. She does not go through the tribulation. The, the 444,000 do not give their lives they are taken. He slips away from the marriage supper and he comes gets her, gets that, that, those, uh, those virgins that were virgin to him that never bowed a knee to Baal, that never uh, worshipped any idol. They've kept themselves pure, 12,000 out of every tribe because of God's promise to their great, 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 granddaddy. His promise, God kept that promise, God kept that covenant and God won't let nothing happen to you. So, Psalms 114.1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. I'll read that again. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Now, and, and, and is italicized. So it hasn't jumped. Oh, it just jumped. It was still on Song of Solomon. Um, it is italicized that, that Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it, it, the dominion, God moving in his people, and fled. Now, that, just again, just to pause, just to make sure everybody what, the, what we're talking about is someone that, that is his dominion, that is his sanctuary, and still won't give all their heart. Because that was always what was said. They still wouldn't give their heart. They still kept their heart away from him. They would not give him their heart. You know, that's who we're talking about. So this is it, Judah, his sanctuary, Israel, his dominion, people that won't give their heart. And just so God's the same God. God doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Same kind of God that the earth, the sea saw it and fled. The sea saw God moving in something that's not fully surrendered 
and the sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea that thou fledst, thou Jordan that thou was driven back? Driven back. Driven back. You mountains. What that driven, my goodness. You mountains that you skip like rams and you hills like lambs. You little hills like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Tremble, which turneth the rock into a standing water and the flint into a fountain of waters. The rock into a standing water and the flint into a fountain of waters. Did that for someone that wouldn't even give their heart. So if you'll give all your heart to him, what do you think he'll do for you? Okay, let's just pull you out of the equation. Let's say the bride of Jesus Christ as a whole, as a whole, she will surrender to him. The prophet said that she, will, she has his potential. She has his potential. She has his word, and she knows what he wants done with it. She has his word, and she knows what he wants done with it. So you tell me that you don't think that this will happen for her? I, I pulled back on our, on our focus a little bit so you didn't feel like I was pointing directly at you. You think that he won't do that? That the sea got scared and rolled back. The sea got scared and rolled back. Turn with Psalm just a few, uh, another four chapters to the right. Psalms 118. Psalms 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he's good because his mercy endureth forever. And this is where, as this is read, the, the, the congregation should shout out amen. His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Now, we're not Israel. We're not house of Aaron. But I'm going to always tell you his house endures. His mercy endures forever. I'll say amen to that all day long. Let them. Here we go. Now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. This is you now. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called up the Lord. All, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And he sent me and set me in a large place. In a large place. Large place. Now, again, law of contrast. It's not a small place. He doesn't say your back is against the wall. It doesn't say you're in a cave hiding. See, Elijah was in a cave hiding. Elijah, in his flesh, got scared and ran and hid from that Jezebel queen. He got scared and ran and hid from that Jezebel queen in a cave, in a very small cave. And I'm, I don't know how big it was. I'm telling you it's smaller than a large place. Contrast. Hid from a woman, a queen, a ruler, in a cave. But perfect love casts out fear. And if fear is removed, you think you're going to be hiding? You think you're going to be running? No, 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 no. You won't be running. The Lord is on my side. That sounds like what Paul said. If God be for us, who can be against us? It don't sound like Paul right there. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord taketh my part with them. Somebody's in trouble. If he takes your part, somebody's in trouble. You just think about Miriam, and I shared that recently. Miriam, uh, in her conversation with Aaron about Moses and his wife, 
She's speaking against Moses. And God took his part. This is his sister talking about the prophet. His sister complaining about the wife that he married. Complaining about the wife. His sister. And God said, I heard it. And he said, why did you not fear to say that? Why was there not fear eating you up to say that? He gave her leprosy. God took her, his, Moses' part. He said, I'll take your part. I will not my part with them that help me. Desire it's better to trust in It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Even the prince of the power of darkness, it's better to trust in the Lord. All nations can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. Not running, not hiding, not scampering away. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and spirits of darkness. But spirits of darkness and principalities and powers of darkness inhabit flesh. And they will do what they want as much as they are allowed to do. But you don't have to allow them to do it. You understand what your place is in this world? Your place is to rule. Your place is to reign. Now, there comes a time this world and these people must be punished for what they've done. Because they will not repent. They will not turn back. And at that point, God simply takes you and puts you over there while he does what he does. It says the fierceness of the cup, no mixture to it, poured out upon this world. You don't want to be here then. You don't want to be nowhere near here then whatsoever. I always said that kind of jokingly that if, if I was to miss the rapture and knew that I missed the rapture, I'm moving to Israel as fast as I can. I will get in their army and I will give my life fighting for Israel as quickly as I can. Put me in the front row. Pull back like Uriah. I don't care. I want to give my life because I want to give my life anything I can do for God. If that means me giving my life, then blessed be the name of the Lord because I sure don't want to live through that tribulation. Now, here we are. Where was that Wednesday night? Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 1. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. <laughs> now again, all parables. All parables. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings. He's telling them, You ain't got to bring nothing. You ain't got to bring nothing to the dinner. Just come. It, it ain't like you. Hey, uh, can you come to my house later? And when you come to my house, will you bring steaks and roast and mashed potatoes and green beans and spaghetti? I need you to bring that when you come. That way you can feed me. No, no, no. Come. He said, I, this is all mine. He said, I, I've, I, I prepared uh, my oxen. My fatlings are killed. All things are ready. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come to the marriage. All things are ready. Now, 
in that same parable, I'll step back and say that he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. That mansion is not a house. It's a body. It's not a house. It's a body. That tabernacle, that earthly tabernacle. If this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, you know that you have a heavenly tabernacle waiting. And it's not likened as to a hut, a, a mud hut, a dirt house, a shack. No, Jesus himself said, let's call it a mansion. And if this right here is the hut or the mud shack or the, uh, the hole in the side of the wall, then anything better is going to be a mansion to me. He said that, he, that they, they uh, bid, bid all these things to him. He says, all things are ready. Come to the marriage. But they made light of it. They made light of it. Why did the, word, the scripture word it like that? They made light of it. Next verse, Charity. It didn't jump. But they made light of it. They laughed at it. They made fun of it. They made it lean like nothing. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Now, if we were to say, let's shrink this down because it's so easy for your mind to go out of the whole world. Let's shrink this down to, let's say the city of Bentley, all 500 people is, is under one king. And this one king, uh, this is his rule, his reign, this one king, and now his son, this king's son, is going to get married. So he invites everyone in the town of Bentley to come to his wedding, to his son's wedding feast. He invites them to come. They don't get to come to the marriage, the ceremony. They get to come to the supper, the feast after, the celebration. But because that was always a private thing. The ceremony was a private thing. But come unto this. And he's their king. They, they don't have no other king. They have no other law. They have no other rule. There's no one above this king. No one above this king that we're using as our, as our type right here. And they tell him, no. Okay. I didn't expect that. Well, maybe they didn't like those servants. Maybe they didn't like Paul, Irenaeus, Martin, Luther. Okay, let's try this. Let's send them uh, Wesley. Let's send them uh, yeah, Wesley and, and, and kind of any other servant. Any other servants. Come, come. No, 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 good. No, thank you. No, thank you. And then they start making light of it. They start joking about it. Didn't you see that? You said they thought this. They thought you should say this. Who, who, I don't care what the Bible says, they'll say. They made light of it. They made fun of it. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They still lived in that king's kingdom. That king's kingdom. And I, I tightened it up for us because we're all sitting in a city that we can see the boundaries just by driving around in a couple minutes. You can't see the boundaries of this world, but this entire world belongs to him, and it's his king. Amen. And they made light of it. God called them, and they made light of it. See, the whosoever will, whosoever will, let him come drink of the waters of life. Let him come, whosoever will. And they literally looked at him and said, I ain't coming. I ain't coming. Verse 6, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and he destroyed those murderers and burned up their city, burned it to the ground. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. They which were bidden were, or invited were not worthy. Go you therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. Bid as many as you can find. Invite them. Say, come, invite them. So those servants went out in the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. I was thinking the other day about, um, 
I don't want to go to a church. I don't want to attend a church where I don't feel comfortable inviting someone else to come to. I don't ever want to attend a church where you're like, well, where do you go? You ever invite? No, I don't invite nobody. Can't nobody come in. And I know churches like that. You're not welcome. Outsiders aren't welcome. That ain't this church. I go on record right now. That ain't this church. Everybody's welcome. Anybody, everybody, all the bodies, thy body, all the, you name it. I'm running out of words. He bids them, he says, that the, the, the servants went in the highways. So they listened. They did what he said, went in the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king was come in, so you understand what just happened, and then he went in, and you're all told you can only come through the door. You must come the right way. You must come the right way. So the servants did what was told. They all come in. They're all furnished. They're all good and bad. All of them sitting there with guests. The king come in to see the guests, which his servants got, and he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment on. He did not have on a wedding garment. This one. He didn't have the wedding garment on, which in your type would be the Holy Ghost. You don't take a rapture without the Holy Ghost. You do not take a rapture without the Holy Ghost. Not happening. So he has a wedding, doesn't have a wedding garment on. So you, you think about how did he get in here? How did he get in? Everyone was bidden. They were all bidden. Now it's not just bidden, but it's now grabbing them, come in. Grabbing them, come in, come in. How did this man get in here without a wedding garment? Because you don't get through the door without getting a wedding garment. If you come through the door, you get a wedding garment because it's Jesus Christ. We shared that recently, Brother Ram said in Unveiling of God, or uh, I don't know exactly what sermon it was, but he was talking about people like to say, the devil tricked me into it. Well, I, I didn't mean to sin, I didn't mean that, but the devil tricked me into it. He said, no, 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 it don't work like that. When you're sealed away in Christ, when you're sealed away in Christ, the only way Satan can get to you to trick you is he's got to be justified, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost to get to you, but at that point, he's your brother. So he ain't going to trick you into nothing. You had to come out of that ceiling, out of there, and go partake in what the world had. He said, what you actually did was you walked up to the border of Canaan, up to the border of the Holy Ghost, and said, oh, I have a few fruits. I lean over the fence and pick a few things, and I'm going to back and do what I want. He said, no, you're a liar. Don't have the wedding garment on. He saw a man which didn't have the wedding garment on. And he saith unto him, friend, that's polite. That's a polite way to respond. Friend, if you have a man, you'll say it like this. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you got a man sitting in your house with a gun standing there. You want to address him as friend? You understand this is a tent of malice. This man in a room full of other people with a wedding garment on, not have the wedding garment on, it's an intent of malice. It's an intent of evil. There's only one purpose to be there. Otherwise, what are you doing there? There's no other reason to be there. He's not there just to hang out and have a good night. There's a purpose from being there, and it's not good. It's not a good purpose. So the king came in and saw the guest. He didn't have a wedding garment on. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So he's asking him, You were offered the Holy Ghost. You were presented the Holy Ghost. We even worded it as, Whosoever will upon thy children and thy children's children. It's a free gift. Just surrender to it. How do you not have the Holy Ghost? How did you get in here without it? And the man was speechless. I have no words. Then said the king of the servants, the same ones that brought him in. You realize that? The same ones that preached him in? I'm not going to preach him out. 
they was asked about um, uh, was it Ahab when that slimy thing came out of the pits of hell? He said, who'll go deceive Ahab? That slimy thing came up out of hell? He said, I'll go. I'll go deceive Ahab. I'll go deceive those prophets. I'm not saying these servants then. I'm just talking about how that you, you understand how that now they're used to bind them. Then said the king of the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The saining of the net. The gospel is as the saining of a net, as it's cast to come unto him. Come unto him, all that are weak and heavy laden and weary. And he said, I will give you rest. And they walk up to him. They get caught in the net. And when they finally get their turn before him, they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll stay how I am. I don't need no changing. I'll just I'll keep going like I'm going. It's not allowed. Let's get down to verse 29. <clears throat> now we've had the question asked about we've run through the resurrection and all that they're asking him about the widow that died and she had seven husbands and all these different things and he's talking to them there in verse um, 29 and he answered him, he said you do err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God you understand it's the power of the resurrection that changes your body from these atoms to those atoms that's the power of the resurrection he's telling them that you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God so again, how does faith come? It's through hearing of the word of God. And the hearing of the word of God, you understand his power and you start to see it work in your life because you know how faith that can activate and access that power of God. He's telling them you don't know the scriptures, which means you have no faith and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. From the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as, as the angels of God in heaven. As the angels of God in heaven. Now, there's a big difference between an angel and a man. Big difference. See, an angel is not redeemed. There's nothing there to redeem. When it says that the, the, the saints sing a new song, the, the angels have been singing for a countless millennium. The angels don't breathe. The angels can uh, ascend. They can, you know, they can rise as high notes we can't describe. They come back down. Whatever it is, they, they never were redeemed, yet they praise the Lord. You, when you're redeemed, you're now singing, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy, worthy is the lamb. All glory and all honor and all power to God Almighty. I love him, I worship him. But an angel was never redeemed. That's why you find the four and 20 elders on the throne. They're not angels, they're actually men. They're not angels, they're men. I read to you in Revelation 22, this he that was showing John this pure river, that was not an angel, that was a man. Revelation chapter 22, it wasn't an angel, that was a man. That was William Branham. It was shown in that. Chapter 29, you don't know the scripture, you don't know the power of God. From the resurrection, they're neither married nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying? Now, I don't know how many times you've thought about the rapture text the translation text coming out of this verse. But this is what Jesus is telling you, touching the resurrection. So whether you're, First uh, Thessalonians 4, whether you're buried in the ground, he said you won't, uh, you won't prevent or hinder those who are not buried in the ground. Whether you're buried in the ground, you will not prevent or hinder. That's a resurrection. Me right now to my new body, that's a resurrection. You're on the same page. So think about that. As touching the resurrection or as explaining it or letting it made known or concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, we've been in promises, and that's what the rainbow covenant is. It's a promise. It's a promise that won't pass away, that won't fade away. And you notice all these promises that I've read you have not just been out of the last century. They've not just been out of the last millennia. A millennia is a thousand years. They've not even been out of just the last millennia. They've not even been out of just the last two millennia. Getting really old now. They've not even been out of the last 2,000 years. It's further back than that. We're over 2,000 years. And it's, it's far back. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, no end. The promise don't wear out. He said it then. He will bring it to pass. He promised. I'm the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and Jacob. And God is not the, dead of the God of the dead, but of the living. When the multitude heard this, and that's italicized, this statement of a rapture, this statement of a resurrection, this statement of a life beyond, this statement about the kingdom of heaven, they were astonished at his doctrine. They never heard the rapture preached like that. They were astonished. For example, you find in our day the rapture will happen different than 99.9% of the world ever thought. Most of the world right now thinks it's a poof. Well, it's Bill Gaither's song that you'll all fly up like sheets. Well, that's not his song. That was a thought before that. But, but they believe that Bill Gaither's song wrote that the planes will veer off their courses, the trains will ride on the, car, the track, cars will crash into things because God took you and the, you didn't know what to do with the car because God's a God of chaos, right? No, his bride will disappear just like the second coming, thief in the night. Yes, you'll know her when she's here. Most will. But then she'll just be taken. And it won't be a big to-do. They will even be, the prophet will say like this, they'll have them, just, we read it to you Wednesday night about the disciples coming to Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you said Elijah must first come. Malachi chapter three. You said, your word says Elijah must first come. And he said, Elijah already has come. And you didn't even know him. So even after the rapture has happened, there'll be people in church that'll be having services and thinking they're getting saved, thinking they're getting full of the Holy Ghost after the rapture is done. After. Now, my goodness. Can I take just a few more minutes? Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. Do you love the Lord? I know that sometimes, if depending on where you're at, I know if the service goes long, if it's warm in the room, it's hard to keep that same train of thought going, but this is God's promise to you. I know sometimes it can seem boring, maybe just reading the scripture and scripture and scripture at me, but, but if you can pull those people out and you realize that, that he's speaking directly to you and that he's actually setting things in order for you specifically, that he's not just doing this for Moses, he's not just doing this for Malachi, he's not just doing this for Micaiah, for Amos, for, for Matthew, Mark, he did it for you. As far back as you can go, and, and you're not talking about the extensive amount of planning the extensive amount of planning that he has set in place to guarantee that you take a rapture. Absolutely guarantee it. And then the enemy comes in and says, oh, you might miss it any time. You can miss your rapture. You might not make it. You might not make it. You got nothing to do with it. All you do is surrender. That's all you do is surrender. Exodus chapter 28. Uh, long and not much time. Okay, let's jump right to verse 23. Mm, I can't go that far. Jump back to 15. Verse 15, chapter 28, verse 15. Thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. The breastplate of judgment with cunning work. Now, again, the breastplate hangs over your breast, which is your chest, which where's your heart at again? Where's his throne at again? Where's the judgment seat at again? 
So, thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, of fine twined linen shalt thou make it. Of blue, of, of gold, of blue, of purple, and of scarlet. Four square it shall be, it shall be being doubled. Four square it shall be being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. Thou shalt set it in settings of stone, even four rows of stone. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, and a gate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel, and onyx, and a jasper. They shall be setting gold in their enclosings and the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel 12 according to their names like like the engravings of a signet everyone with his name shall they be according to the 12 tribes thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreath and work of pure gold at the end of the chains wreath and work Thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold. Thou shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. They're trying to describe it to you. And I wish I had time to couple this with the, the, the two staves, but I just don't have time. Thou shalt put the two wreathed chains of gold in the two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two wreathed chains thou shalt fashion in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. Thou shalt make two rings of gold. Thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate in the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward, and two other rings of gold shalt thou make, shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle or wroughtly designed girdle of the ephod they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof under the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it might be that it may be the above the curious girdle of the ephod that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod won't let it go you understand the bindings and the wrappings and the ringing and all that it won't let go it's so perfectly coordinated and lined up and designed and Aaron Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. So I know I read that very fast, but get a picture of the high priest with this on his chest. This happened once a year. He could go into the holy of holies, not just the outer court, not just the inner court, but into the holy of holies. I'll stop right there. I'll get on this. So he went into the secret place. He went into the Shekinah glory. Your body is a body, spirit, and a soul. You have the outer court. I'm going to speak from my inner court. That's operated. My spirit runs my inner, is the inner court, runs the outer court. But that holy of holies, that soul on the inside, that's where that Shekinah glory lives. Now, he could only go in there once a year he was only allowed once a year you must have all of these things in perfect conjunction to get in there under the law you must have this stone this stone this stone this stone this stone and it was on a tablet on a breastplate over a man's chest that was under the law that was before the mediatorial covenant the blood the sprinkling the, the redemption the salvation that wrought from what you were to what you now have access to <clears throat> you understand that's not you anymore. All of that's wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All of that was wrapped up and accumulated into that one-time offering for sin. All of that had to be done so that one man, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. One man, one man, once a year, to the Holy of Holies. One man, once a year. You don't want to wait once a year, and you ain't got to wait for me to do it. You can go in there anytime you want. As a matter of fact, you're going to start living there. Amen. Not just going there for a visit. Let me walk in. Well, no, no. You're living there. And you have to come out of there to take care of your daily job. Then you go back into there. Then one day you just don't come back. Into that Shekinah presence. And for most people that don't understand that Shekinah glory, we haven't had a lot of time to, to, to really nail that down. That Shekinah glory was that eternal light of God. It was that pillar of fire. It was that halo. It was that, that, that representation of the presence of the creator God in that room. So when I say living in the Shekinah glory, you're literally living in the presence of the creator God. So I guess when I bring my request to him, I don't know if he'll answer. I don't know if he'll do it. Can he do it? You're in the presence of the creator God. First things first. Listen to me now. He let you in. He let you in. He let you in. You know, when Adam and Eve was around the garden, two angels put at the gates of the Garden of Eden with flaming swords to make sure no one got in. No one got in. And then, because all of this was done, you had to have a man that was, that was, uh, that was dressed a certain way, and it had to be designed with people sold out and anointed to God, that it, you couldn't just go to your, your normal seamstress shop, your normal sewing shop. These people that sold had to be filled with God. You couldn't have some unbeliever make these things. You couldn't have an unbeliever do this. You had to have sold out believers making these things, putting them together, just so they can take it and walk up in there once a year for one man. Now, the angels are running you back in. That river of life, the tree of life. You're, there's your way. He allowed me in. He allowed me in. That's probably as good a place to stop as any. He brought me in. He brought me in.
like more than each one. Everyone was surrendered. Oh, and more Just my 
myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself service close and the, the Bible be shut and leave this room and that burning that's in their heart right now. Don't let it get away from it, God, Lord. Let, let it amplify. Let it burn more and more. They can't breathe another second without surrendering all that they are to you, Lord Jesus. I want to surrender all that I am to you, Lord Jesus. Every facet, every door of my heart, I want it flung wide open, Lord. I want all of you. I want none of me. Have mercy on us, Father. Bless my brothers and sisters. Help us as we go back to face our tests and our trials, Lord. Help us to answer better. Help us to respond better. Help us to forgive quicker, Lord. Help us to love stronger, Lord Jesus. Yes. Draw us nearer to thee, we pray. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. I want to say once again how thankful I am that you love us. And in this morning, in this atmosphere, in this presence, you've proved it to us once again. Lord, we adore you today. Lord, let your word find good ground. Let it find good ground in our hearts, Lord. Let it have broken up that stony and fallow ground and bring forth fruit pleasing to you, Lord. We worship you and we praise your name. Bring us back Wednesday, Lord, with a closer walk and more of a hunger of a burning, Lord, more of a desire to get closer. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church, Lord. This ain't my church. This is your church. And you do and say and, and will whatever you want, Lord God. You are the boss. You're
you're who we were surrendered to, Lord. And we love you with all that's within us. In your precious name.
See how 